Welcome to Color Decoded, a podcast about colors inspired by works from the art gallery at the Community Library of DeWitt and Jamesville. Today we are taking inspiration from an acrylic work called Crocodile Rock by Laura Stisser. This piece will guide us on a treasure hunt for several precious rocks that contributed to making the world more colorful and luxurious. I'm Erin Ann. Our program begins now. Crocodile Rock is a square, rhythmic, acrylic pore piece consisting of diagonal, irregular forms created by hues of different colors of paint flowing against each other in a small space. The background of this piece seems to be the darker purple-blue and azure hues which are prominent in the northeast and southwest corners. If we consider this canvas as a map, and north is up. A handful of lighter forms pop off the backdrop, defined by their color variation which slips into the bright green of summer grass in sunlight, an orange-yellow tan of warm sand, and white wedges with watery edges that flow into the other colors creating a general rhythm from about 5 o'clock to 11 o'clock of blue, blue-green, green, yellow, orange, white, and repeat as the colors undulate in and out, from the white center to the blue edges on either side five or so times. The overall impression, given the aptly applied title, is of five or so crocodilian shapes displayed from above, floating on the water, complete with blunt head forms laying in the northeast deeps and swishing pointed tail forms agitating the dark hues in the southwest corner. The shapes are all defined by wavy, swirly, irregular lines of color set very close together like wood grain. Oranges, yellows, and whites are present in the northwest corner with a sliver of blues in the extreme corner, suggesting a sandbar or perhaps shore or mudflat. In the opposite southeast corner, the pattern of white, orange, green, and blue-green is repeated several times, producing more small diagonal stripes indicating perhaps a few more crocs or perhaps other forms. As I just mentioned, deep blues, greens, and green blues are all colors that make an appearance in Crocodile Rock by Laura Stisser. The first source for such colors were rocks, precious minerals that were used to create pigments for arts in antiquity. The blue colors in this piece are reminiscent of the deep blue lapis lazuli and its impersonator azurite. Azurite is often found with its sisters, the minerals malachite and chrysocolla. The former could produce emerald green pigments, and the latter was an ingredient in cedar green, a green-blue paint also reminiscent of some of the colors in Crocodile Rock. Ancient azurite mines managed by the Egyptian Empire existed on the Sinai Peninsula. Around 77 CE, Pliny the Elder name-dropped azurite and malachite in his 37-volume Natural History, before he perished two years later in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, 
which destroyed Pompeii, leaving some of the most well-preserved artworks known from antiquity, presumably including those made vibrant with azurite and malachite. Azurite and malachite were in use from antiquity through the end of the 18th century and were quite widely available in Europe from ancient times, whereas lapis lazuli in its pigment form called ultramarine, which had to travel from the faraway Afghanistan, was not prevalent in Europe until the Byzantine era around 500 CE. Azurite could be used as a slightly cheaper duplicate for ultramarine when the new arrival was too expensive. The prevalence of azurite's availability and use are becoming more evident with the spread of methods to detect and distinguish azurite pigments from ultramarine. One method to do this involves heating a blue pigment sample to red hot. As it cools, azurite will turn black, while lapis will not. Moreover, azurite will sometimes turn green or dim over time with exposure to light, while lapis will not. Now we will take a brief break for an important message. Decoded is taking a break for the next programming quarter, which starts March 1st. We have a lot of cool art activities planned for the spring. In the CLDNJ Art Gallery in March, we have works by Michael Sickler. In May, we have a show with Sharon Bottlesova. We have a library visit to the SU Art Galleries on March 13th at 2 p.m., and egg decorating and spring wreath-making hands-on workshops. Please join us for these exciting adventures. If you enjoy this podcast, please tweet at C-L-D-A-N-D-J that you want more color-decoded episodes. And now back to the program. just happened to find it by accident and then now it's all overgrown and luckily there's no snakes at this time of the year because it's getting too cold for them is that right well no snakes that's what he says but that's why I have a pole so I can bash it around just to alert the snake that I'm coming Lizzie's coming so you better get out of the way because they are more afraid of you or us, then we are... In a YouTube video released in May 2019 by Liz Crete, Liz and Wall search a wooded area of Canberra, Australia, for azurite and malachite near a hole dug by miners. These rockhounds are looking for minerals to make into jewelry or sell as specimens. Liz explains the key hints for finding azurite, malachite, and chrysocolla in the wild, which are their telltale shades of blue and green, and the presence of copper in this instance from a copper mining operation. Azurite is easiest to obtain from known sources of copper, 
in the oxidation interface between the veins of the metal and the surrounding layers of rock. Today, the biggest azurite mines are found in France and Namibia. Azurite and malachite are both carbonate compounds of copper. Chrysocolla is a silicate compound of copper. These minerals are formed in nature by the weathering of copper ore. Lapis lazuli's chemical composition is more complex. It's a mixture of minerals, with the mineral lazurite being the main ingredient. It is produced by metamorphic processes and contains silicate, sulfate, and chloride chemical groups. In her book, Color Provenance, Laura Daza demonstrates how to refine azurite and presumably other minerals into a suitable substance to create pigments. First, you must grind the mineral into a powder. David Colas advises in his book, Chromatopia, an illustrated history of color, that to be useful, it must be ground coarsely. Otherwise, it loses its brilliant color and becomes pale and faded. I assume this has something to do with the properties of light, similar to diffraction, where the light acts differently around very tiny particles than it does around chunkier particles. To separate the minerals from other compounds in a specimen, the ground particles are sifted by levigation, not levitation, levigation, which works like panning for gold. When left to settle, the mineral particles fall to the bottom of the vessel and the impurities remain suspended and are poured off with the water. David Colas explains a traditional method of refining lapis lazuli for use in pigments. This method involves massaging a putty of resin, rosin, and wax that contains the powdered rock in a water and lye solution. Lazurite is hydrophilic, so it is drawn out of the putty while the impurities remain in the putty. The powder can then be rinsed with water to remove any remaining substances from the purification process. To create a pigment, the purified mineral powders can be mixed with binders, including gum arabic, water, and honey or sugar to add a glossy finish. Dang, that is a big chunk of lapis. It's about Five inches by four, by two. I was lucky enough to get my hands on this large chunk of lapis when I invited Rick Moore, a local geologist with the Gem and Mineral Society of Syracuse, to the library to show me some specimens of rocks that have been used for pigments. Rick was incredibly knowledgeable about rocks and rock hounding and showed me just a small number of pigment rocks from his extensive collection, including azurite, malachite, chrysocolla, and lapis. If this podcast happens to spark your interest in rocks and minerals, GMSS is a great venue to pursue additional information and experiences. The Gem and Mineral Society hosts scholarly presentations on the third Monday of each month at 7.30 p.m. And that's a wrap. If you would like to see more of Laura Stisser's fabulous artworks, please visit laurastisserart.com. Laura Stisser will also be in the library on April 10th for a demonstration of her acrylic pour technique. Please join us at 1 p.m. in the Makerspace. If you would like to read more about the meaning and uses of color, visit the Art We Heart list on the Community Library Goodreads account, where there is a wide array of color-related volumes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Color Decoded. The theme song is by Embers Tide. Episodes are released on anchor.fm slash color-decoded and on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. 
please stop by the Community Library of DeWitt in Jamesville and start your own podcast today. As always, keep it colorful out there. Bye!